So we're in a uh, series right now called God Speak, and it's part of our, our greater series. We're going through the entire book of Acts, and we've made some progress. And this part of the series called God Speak is really about watching as these missionaries bringing this really new idea of a crucified and risen Messiah into the world, into Asia and the Middle East areas. And how does that happen? How do you talk about this crazy idea when you're talking to so many different kinds of people with different frames of reference for reality in a pluralistic world and society similar to the one that we live in now? So how do you speak about God and what are the ways in which God speaks to us? So when, uh, when I was in seventh grade and I was new to um, Memphis, we lived in Cordova, and uh, I went to a school dance, the Dirty Dova, that's right. Uh, went to a dance in seventh grade, and uh, it might, you might be able to imagine this. It might be exactly like a middle school dance was at your school. I had come from a school where at dances, we all had like a, like a 45 minutes of dance time on Fridays at the end of the week. This is a school I came from in, in Georgia. And uh, we would learn like the electric slide and we would learn how to like couples dance and stuff like that. And so when we had a dance, it was lit. Everybody was dancing. Everybody was having a good time. We were all doing the electric slide and listening to TLC and all this stuff. So... Um, then I, I go to this other school and I get to this middle school dance and all the guys are on the right and all the girls are on the left and the music's playing and everybody's just huddled up in little groups on either side, right? And I'm thinking, man, this is, this is so lame. Like, I want more than this. This is so boring. I talk to all these guys all the time about the same stupid stuff. And I look across and I see this girl, I didn't even know who she was, but she was wearing a pretty red dress. And I remember that her name was Whitney. And I told the guys I was standing with, I'm gonna go dance with her. And they're like, dude, you're gonna go dance with her? I'm like, yeah, it's a dance. That's what you do at a dance. And they're like, I don't know, man, she might say no. I said, well, I won't know unless I ask. So I strolled all the way across that, that giant chasm uh, of boys and girls. And I walked up to her and said, do you wanna dance? And she said, sure. And we danced and it was fun, it was great. I was the only one out of all those kids who wanted something more than just standing there doing the same old thing that was happening. And I started to think about this, and I thought about the first time um, I blatantly let my wife, not wife at the time, know that I liked her. And uh, if any of you know Becky, she's, she's a little reserved. She can be kind of reserved and conservative about how she uh, approaches relationships and things like that. So I don't remember what was going on, but I know she said to me, uh, we, were, we were standing in her apartment and we lived in the same little apartment building. And she said, you know, Jamin, it kind of seems like you're flirting with me. And uh, I said, well, because I am. Because <laughs> I like you. And she said to me, I never see us being together. On Friday, we went out to dinner for our eight-year anniversary together. And we are just about to have our third child. 
any moment. You missed some good stories, babe. So when I think about this passage that we're looking at this morning, I'm thinking about this question to start off with. Do you want more than what you have? Do you want more than what you have? And when I look at this passage, I want to share with you a version of the first few verses that come from another translation called The Message, which was written by a pastor who uh, put the new, first the New Testament and the whole Bible into more conversational language. And I want, to, I want you to hear how this sounds. Um, so here we go, starting in verse 1. It says, Now it happened that while Apollos was away in Corinth, Paul made his way down through the mountains, came to Ephesus, and happened on some disciples there. The first thing he said was, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Did you take God into your mind only, or did you also embrace him with your heart? Did he get inside you? We've never even heard of that. A Holy Spirit, God within us? How were you baptized then, asked Paul. And John's baptism, that explains it, said Paul. John preached a baptism of radical life change so that people would be ready to receive the one coming after him who turned out to be Jesus. If you've been baptized in John's baptism, you are ready now for the real thing, for Jesus. And they were. As soon as they heard of it, they were baptized in the name of the master Jesus. Paul put his hands on their heads and the Holy Spirit entered them. From that moment on, they were praising God in tongues and talking about God's actions. Altogether, there were about 12 people there that day. So when I look at this passage, I see a group of people that wanted more. I mean, think about these folks. The, the, the scriptures call them disciples, but they weren't even familiar with the baptism of Jesus, and yet they were following this way. They wanted more out of life, and they saw that this way was the best shot they had at it. Then somebody else comes along and starts like asking them questions like, well, did you even receive this or that? And instead of getting defensive about it, their desire for more was stronger than their desire to look good, to look like they knew everything, to look like they understood what it was supposed to be. And they were just honest about it because they wanted more. Um, when I think about just some like ordinary examples in life, uh, there are oftentimes, this week was one of them, when um, we have to call like an office, like in our family, we have to call an office like a doctor's office or something like that, or we have to call like an insurance company or something, you know, all that regular daily life stuff. And it's really good for me if I do that when Becky is around, because if they like tell me something like this is what it is and this is what we're going to do for you, or we're not going to refund this or this, that, or the other, and Becky's nearby, she's like, uh-uh, oh no. That is their job to do that, and they are not doing their job right. And so what I oftentimes, what I did this week and oftentimes end up doing is I hand her the phone, and I go like walk over somewhere else and like listen to hear what happens. Because 
I don't like that kind of conflict. I'm like, oh, they're doing the best they can or whatever and everything. And Becky's like, no, that is their job. And they need to do more than what they're doing right now. And she can back it up because she's the hardest working person that there ever was. So then she's not going to like cut any crap. She's not going to like let anybody do anything less than that. She wants more in that situation. I think about this, this lady I learned about through a TED talk, her name is Emily Bayer, and uh, she's a runner. Anybody heard of this story before? Yeah, Veda? <laughs> she, um, she came in eighth place in a race called the Hard Rock 100, and it sounds like what it sounds like. Like it is what it sounds like. It's like running 100 miles on rocky trails she came in eighth place. She beat 492 other competitors. This is a male and female race. And here's the kicker. That's impressive enough as it is, but they have like aid stations along the way. They call them aid stations, probably because like you need medical aid on this race because it's a hundred mile race. At every single aid station, she stopped to nurse her baby. What? This lady wants more out of life, doesn't she? She is nursing her baby. We're not talking about formula. We're not talking about breast pumping. We're talking about she is nursing her child on a 100-mile race, 48-hour race, and she beats 492 other competitors who are nursing no children at all. <laughs> and so I ask, do you, do you want more. Do you want more out of this life that you have? I think about for myself, uh, almost four years ago, around four years ago, I started going to counseling because there was something about life I couldn't get and I wanted more. And that was part of my journey to start getting that. And I remember bumping into a really good friend of mine's sister on the way out because at the time, uh, Sage Hill was meeting out of this church and my friend's sister went to this church and sh sh we bumped into each other and she's like, oh, hey, how's it going? I'm like, hey. And, and then she's like, well, what are you, why are you here? And I said, oh, I was at a counseling appointment. She's like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. Oh, um, uh, she was so embarrassed for me, right? That I was, had to go to counseling. And I was like, what? It, you do not have to be embarrassed for me. I want more. I want more life. I don't have time to try to look good for everybody all the time. And I'll have all my I's dotted and my T's crossed. I can never even remember to say that phrase, right? So I'm hopeless anyway. I barely got it that time. I want more. And so when I'm thinking about these people and I'm thinking about this situation, I'm thinking if you want more life, then you've got to be ready to have other people speak into your life. You're going to have to have deeper types of relationships. Some of you know this well. You're living into this and leaning into this right now in your life. But when you realize that whatever you've got in life, it's not enough, and you really decide that you want more, then you need help. So these uh, these disciples, they were already leaning hard into life. And then this dude shows up 
Maybe he's older than them, I don't know, but he has some wisdom that they don't have. And he says, hey, so I'm noticing here something about you. Did you even, did you even like receive the Holy Spirit, bro? Like, did that even happen for you? And they were honest enough to be like, we don't even know what that is. Can you help us? Can you enlighten us? It makes me think of when I was a, an 18-year-old and I was, um, my, my family had moved to Michigan and I was still living in Memphis and I was coming up to Michigan for the first time at the end of my senior year after my summer was over, staying at a friend's house and I was about to leave out and I had my atlas. For those of you under 20 or around that age, that is like a physical book-shaped thing and it has maps with interstates and things on it. And you like, there's like a little uh, table of contents and you flip and you find grids and you work your way through the country like that without a phone. I know, I know. So I had my Atlas, I had some gas money and I had my, like my clothes. And, and my friend's dad, he said, so you ready for the road trip? And I'm like, yeah, I'm ready. And he's like, well, did you check the oil? And I'm like, what? Uh, well, no. I mean, it's probably got oil, right? He said, well, did you, did you check the tire pressure on your tires? I'm like, well, they, I mean, they got air. They're, they're round. They look okay, you know? And, and he's like, well, do you have a spare tire if, if, if the tire goes flat? And I'm like, oh, no. Where would that be? And so... When we decide, or if we ever decide that we want more than what we've got, we have to be willing to let somebody ask us those kind of questions. Not about a road trip, maybe about a road trip, because some of us don't know about oil. But you've got to let somebody close enough to you that's wiser than you look into your life and ask you diagnostic type questions. Like, I've noticed this about you. And I want to know, what is, this, what is going on in your life in this area? If you say, I'm good, I got it, I know how to go on a road trip, you're going to end up on the side of the road at some point. And the secret about it is, we all have many times. We've already all done that many times. And if you haven't, then God bless you, because when you crash, woo, it's going to be a bad one. So my question today is do you want more? Do you want more life? So if you want more life than you have, then you need more relationship than what you've had. If you want more life than you have, then you need more relationship than what you've had. That's what these men, these disciples found out. Let's look back at this part, this uh, one of these verses here um, in the beginning of the message translation. I think it's, it's one, one and two. He kind of does verses together. He says it like this in Paul's voice. He says, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Did you take God into your mind only, or did you also embrace him with your heart? For some of us, it may be true that all Christianity has ever been to us is some ideas in our mind. 
And I think that's why it's so important that we don't just talk about Jesus, but we also talk about the Holy Spirit. We talk about the animating force and power of God that can be living and active and working in us in ways that we don't expect and certainly can't control. What was the lyric in that song that we just sang? It was, you hold all things together. You hold it all together. I think most of the time for me, I spent my life saying, I hold it all together. And sometimes I let Jesus sort of help. But when you get to start expecting more and wanting more from God in your life, then some things are going to be happening that you aren't in control of. Things are going to be happening unexpectedly in your life. And that means there are some things about God you can't just understand with your mind. And that means, if that's true, that means that we have to go deeper into relationship and more honest into relationships than maybe we ever have before. And that means that you cannot do this on your own. You cannot go into a hole with podcasts and Bible commentaries and books and come out a Kung Fu Jesus master. Right? Like that's the Kung Fu story is this, this guy, he goes up and he meditates on a mountain. And when he comes back down, he has Kung Fu. Ooh, that's a good story. He like, he sees all this stuff going wrong in the world. He goes off on his own. He meditates and the answers all come to him by himself in the dark cave. And he comes out with revelation. You don't ever see that kind of stuff happen in the Bible. It's always somebody talking to or with somebody else. Paul, when he got knocked off that horse, somebody had to come to him and had to put their hands on him, scared that Paul was going to kill him to just get him his sight back because Jesus blinded him. He was so unexpected in his life. And here in this passage, we see, I was talking with Diane the other day, and she was talking about, you know, in the Bible, nobody ever prays for their own healing and gets healed by themselves. They don't get to ask God, and then God just heals them. God always has somebody else coming to that person and asking them to be healed, asking God to heal them. It's always a communal thing. And, and I, I rap on this and I say this and I sit here and park here for a moment because I don't think that we want as much life as we could. Sometimes I feel like I want more for us, for our church, than we want for ourselves. How do I know that? Because at prayer times, at the end of services, we might have like one, two people. Y'all got lots of prayer requests in your life. I know some of them are private. And guess what? That's part of the problem is they stay in private. If you don't let anybody in, you can't get the healing that you need in your life. And you can't get that thing that you want out of life. You can't get that Becky to be your wife right there, Becky Carter. You can't go across the room to that girl on the other side in the red dress and get a dance with her in your life. Y'all hear me? Anybody there this morning? So, that means it's going to be embarrassing sometimes. And we're okay with that here at Christ City. We're okay with that. And if you're not, then you just got to say you're not, you're not okay with that so we know 
who are the ones who are okay with it and who aren't, right? That's the first step in being honest, right? So let's, let's keep going here in the passage and see from somebody like Paul, who definitely wants more in his life, what is, how does he handle the fallout of living this kind of way? The fallout of, I don't see us ever dating, Jamin. <laughs> so, verse 8. Paul entered the synagogue. It's not on the screen, so you got to follow me. Paul entered the synagogue and spoke boldly there for three months, arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. So, Paul is here in the synagogue. This is like his normal thing, right? He comes somewhere and he goes to the synagogue. And then after a while, what happens? What happens after a while? If you've been here for this series for a while, he preaches the synagogue and then he gets kicked out, right? Sometimes beat up, but he gets kicked out in some kind of way, thrown out. So let's see what happens in verse nine. But some of them became obstinate. They refused to believe and publicly maligned the way. That means they were like, just going out into the streets and talking bad about what Paul was preaching, probably Paul too. So Paul left them. He took the disciples with him and had discussions daily in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. This went on for two years so that all the Jews and Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. So Paul knows the drill. He's so used to just pushing into life for everything that he wants out of it and, and trying to find God in all of those things. He's just like, this is just the drill. Like, I know I'm going to go here. I know it's not going to work out permanently. And I know I'm going to get kicked out. And so I'm already scoping, where's the next place I'm going to go as I'm walking into the synagogue? There's the school of Tyrannus. That's where I'll go after they beat me up and kick me out. What? Do we think about our relationship with God that way? Or when one door closes on us, we're like, well, I guess God doesn't want that for me. I guess that's not what's going to happen in my life. I guess God doesn't want to use me that way. Can you imagine if Paul did that? We wouldn't be, we'd be done with our series in Acts right now. Some of y'all are saying, hallelujah, I wish Paul wouldn't have wanted so much out of life. Because we could be on, a, in a, in a, well, maybe not an epistle. We'd be, well, we'd be out of luck. We'd have to do something else. We'd have to all go to brunch. And that is sad. <laughs> Paul, he was used to the consequences of wanting more out of life. Thinking about um, the plumbing problems we've had in my house lately. <laughs> we had a bad one a few months ago. I kept thinking, like, what is that smell? Does somebody in my family have bad gas? And I'm always, like, super sensitive. Like, my nose is super sensitive. And so I'm trying not to, like, say anything because, you know, Becky's like, you're always commenting on house. I was commenting this morning, like, I think that thing you washed, uh, I think it's got mildew in it, you know, and just always finding smells. Well, this time I was right. Got that from my dad. Thanks. Happy Father's Day. Thanks, Dad. What's that smell? That's my dad. All through our childhood. We didn't do it. It's not us. Go outside if you're going to fart. But I was smelling something, and it was bad. And I found out that a pipe bursted 
and was clogged up. It wasn't totally because of the natural soap my wife always buys, but that might have had something to do with it. And so I called our plumber, our plumber, plumber Benny. And Benny, uh, some of you know Benny? <laughs> Benny is this Italian plumber from New York. And when he is working on your plumbing, it sounds like it ain't gonna happen. Like, you are not gonna make it through this. I mean, the amount of cuss words he says in two minutes is more than you could sit through on like the worst rated, you know, Netflix movie or something. Like, it is just going down when he's fixing something. But me, I've been around Benny fixing some things in my house multiple times. So now I know the drill. I know, like, that he's going to be cussing, he's going to be swearing, and he's going to be throwing stuff down and all that. But I had to go out of town when Benny was working on our property. And now he's got a friend, uh, uh, an assistant that helps him. I say a friend because we, we know the guy. And... uh I, I was texting with Becky, and I said, Becky, how's it going? Is he making progress? Um, because we had, our, our toilet was emptying under our house. That's how bad it was. I forgot to tell you how bad it was. So it just was, it was like flushing under our house, right? So she's like, I don't think it's going very well. I'm like, what's going on? And she's like, well, he yelled at his assistant and he walked off, and something was thrown, and there's all this cussing going on. I'm like, oh, no, it's, it's on point. Like, everything's normal. Like, they're, they're going to do it. If they keep going and getting parts and coming back, are they doing that? Well, yeah, you know, it's, okay, well, then we're good. Like, we're good. Okay? It's going to get fixed. And sure enough, it did. It reminds me of how Paul saw life and how he writes to this writes to the Philippians about this in Philippians chapter 4, verse 10 through 13, in one of the most misquoted, out-of-context verses at the end of this that you used to see on the Christian t-shirts, and they're always in gyms, like Christian gyms, this verse is. You guys probably already know the one I'm talking about. Um, but let's start in the context of this verse on verse 10. He says in Philippians 4, chapter 10, I rejoiced greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me, talking to the people he's writing to. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content in whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. Here it is. You can see it on the gym wall. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. I can do anything through Christ who strengthens me. No, it's I can, I can keep going after the life that God keeps putting inside of me and I can bear with any circumstances around that. Do you want to be able to do that? Do you, Paul is essentially saying like, as long as I got my peeps, as long as the church y'all are with me, I'm basically unstoppable until somebody really does stop me all the way. And even in that case, I'm just waiting on the resurrection. So I'm essentially an unstoppable force for good in this world. Do you want more life like that? Because all of us can get more than what we've got right now. And some of you are thinking, 
well, you know, James and I'm, I'm very charismatic. Maybe not many in, <laughs> here at Christ City, but, and, and why aren't you talking more about the baptism of the Holy Spirit and, and speaking in tongues and things like that? Well, I'm not talking a whole lot about that right now because we don't see a whole lot of instances in that in the scripture. And part of the point I'm trying to make is that God does unexpected things through his spirit. Y'all hear me on that? Sometimes he does things that we don't expect. So for you charismatics out there and you, the speaking in tongues and all that, I've spoken in tongues. I've had legit speaking in tongues experiences in my life. And that's good, but I want more life. I want more than that. And for those of you who are like, I don't even, I was taught all that stuff stopped and all those things stopped. Well, what started? What continued after that? What did God just sit back and he's like, okay, I'm good now? Or is he doing something else? Is there something in your life that God could be doing that is unexpected, that you never dreamed that could be happening and you could be used through? I can't really think of much in my life that has gone the way I've planned it. I can't really think of many ideas that I had, because I had some crazy ideas, y'all, about what I was going to do with my life that actually turned out that way. And I think the more that we're able to turn that more that we want over to God, the more we're going to be surprised. And that happens through relationship. That happens through relationship. So the point is just that when you learn to want more than what you've got, you can put up with more than you ever thought you could. When you learn to want more than what you've got, you can put up with more than you ever thought you could. I think about people with no legs that win races. <laughs> I think about Emily who came in eighth place. Man, I would have hated to have been running in that race with her. And I got beat by a mama breastfeeding her baby every stop of the way. And I'm laying down, oh, you know, rubbing my, my calves and my Achilles, oh, my Achilles heel. And she's spending all her, I mean, some people have just realized they can get more. Do we realize that in here, Christ City? Do we realize that? about what we've got. We've got people here who have found more life. They found it here. They found it in the recovery rooms. They found it in counseling. They found it in deeper relationships than they've ever had. And that's worth sharing. I know it's summer and everybody's traveling and all that, but part of it is just like, tell somebody. We're in the series called God Speak. Like, tell somebody. You don't have to say like, to somebody you meet, like, did you receive the Holy Spirit? You don't have to say that to them, but you could say, hey, do you have as much life as you want? Because there's a place that I have found where I am getting more life than I've ever had before. And I want you to come check it out with me. I'm, I'm proud of what's going here. I feel like I can guarantee any of us that if we actually put ourselves into this situation and we admit what we don't know and we get connected to the people in this room that you will get more life. Somebody clap. Somebody say something to me, okay? 
I know I'm looking at people that have gotten it and we don't need to be ashamed or embarrassed about that. Or if you are, when you're telling somebody about it, that's okay too. Just as long as you open your mouth and you don't keep it to yourself. When I'm talking about putting up with stuff, I'm not talking about though abusive relationships. I'm not saying that you keep putting up with very abusive relationships uh, because you want more of life. That's, that's not what I mean. When Paul is talking in this context in Philippians, you notice he's ta- he starts that verse, verse 10, by talking about the people that have care and concern for him. And when he talks about being in need, he's not talking about that he's being abused by people he's staying in relationship. He's talking about that sometimes he has a lot of stuff, a lot of resources, and sometimes he doesn't have a lot of resources. But either way, he can continue forward. He's talking about materialism, which slows us down as Americans, which we have a blind spot to, that we feel like we can only be generous if we have this much left over, or we feel like we can only go certain places in life if we have the right car, the right clothes, the right type of bank accounts, and those type of things. That's the context there, that Paul's saying that doesn't stop him. This is why I stay in the church. There's times in my adult life where I have considered leaving church. (laughs) Y'all probably don't hear pastors say that too much. Uh, maybe I cry city with him, but uh. but the thing that keeps me coming back is I, I can't do it. I can't do, I can't get what I want out of life. I can't get more life. I can't experience more of God without all of us, without the church. That's what I'm that's what I have been realizing time and time again in so many different ways. And so I hope. I hope that we find the desire to even just want more prayer at the end of a service, to reach out, to be courageous and ask for what we need. Paul knew how to stay in his lane. And a lot of things happened because of that. He he, uh, was a tent maker. So he worked on tents. And then when the day got hot, then he went and he taught. Those were his skills. He was a tent maker and a teacher. And so even though he wanted more out of life, he was still doing that in his lane. That makes sense? So that doesn't mean, oh, now I'm called to be a missionary or now I'm called to be a preacher or a teacher because somebody passionately talked about wanting more life from a pulpit it still means that God has something for us where we are in the lane that we are in, and it might be a little unexpected. But here's where the story gets really good. Because Paul stays in his lane, but God doesn't. So let's keep reading together, starting in verse 11. God did extraordinary miracles through Paul so that even handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched him were taken to the sick and their illnesses were cured and the evil spirits left them. Some Jews who went around driving out evil spirits tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who were demon-possessed. They would say, in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. 
seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest, were doing this. On one day, the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and I know about Paul, but who are you? And the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them and overpowered them all. He gave them such a beating that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. I'm going to say something that sounds crazy. You're like, uh, too late, Jamin. Your best day, your best day can be the one that leaves you bloody and naked. That could be your best day. Why do I say that? What we see in this scenario is two things going on. We see one person staying in his lane and God working miracles through that person's life, literal miracles taking place. And we see another group of people, itinerant Jewish exorcists. That sounds like the beginning of a good joke, doesn't it? Three Jewish itinerant exorcists walk into a bar. They're, they're in the business of helping other people. And they've made that their business. And they hear about this and they see what's going on and they're like, oh, so I can get more the way I want it and use this guy Jesus to help do that. I can still go after the prestige. I can still get my ego petted. I can still get the fame and the glory the security, the financial security that I want or whatever it is. And I can use Jesus to help me do that. And what happens is it works for a little while, but then eventually they get to this one cat who's extra special. He's extra demon possessed. And they try this out. They try to like, use God to sort of manipulate the path that they want. They say, oh, I'm going to uh, do my life and add a little bit of God in there and kind of get him to be my little magic wand to kind of make things happen. And, and this demon says something that is so striking and insightful. He says, hey, I know some people who know this Jesus who know this spirit, I know them, but who are you? It's almost like, it's almost like the beating he gives them, because I'm like, why naked, right? Like there's seven of these guys and one, one cat. Like how could, how could one guy, demon possessed or not, beat up seven guys and get all their clothes off? Like, this must have taken a while. Like, there must have been a lot of people walking down the street, like, talking, and then they hear the noises, and they're like, just walking by as fast as they can, because this is not a five-second beatdown. This is several minutes. Lamps crashing, sofas being broken, everything going on. Ooh, it's worse in a Middle Eastern home, because they don't really sit on chairs and sofas at this time. It's just like, they're just getting beat down onto the floor. So anyway, why naked? I think, I, think the, I think the demon really wanted to show them something. 
I think he wanted to show them like, you are not these impressive, flowing, spiritual priestly gowns. Because these guys probably weren't real priests. Like if, if the quotations had been invented in, in, in uh, writing at that point, it's like the chief high priest. I feel like that's how Luke's writing about this, right? These guys are, are hustlers. They're snake oil seller guys, right? And they go from town to town doing their gimmick. And so they get beat up and they are left bloody and naked. Everything that they had wanted to show about themselves was stripped away. And all that they were left with was what they actually had. Just them, just themselves. And that's why I say the best day of your life could be one in which you are left bloody and naked, where the way you're trying to maneuver and make life work out and kind of make God sort of fit into that little plan you got and keep everybody at arm's length so they don't get close enough to see that you're really jacked up, the best thing that can happen to you is that fails, is it don't work no more, is you're left bloody and naked. But you still got a choice. Like those guys Running out of that house, they still had a choice. They probably found like a, um, a, a, a mustard tree-like bush to hide behind, or maybe they climbed up a sycamore tree or something like that. And uh, they could have waited and then ran off, regrouped, gone to another town and started over, started doing the same thing. I've done that before. I've done that before. I've gotten my butt handed to me, been left bloody and naked, and I look around and see, oh, not too many people notice, and then I start back over the same thing. And I rebuild up my image. I rebuild up my uh, image that I'm putting out to the world. Anybody relate to that? Anybody ever done anything like that before? We want insta-spiritual success so much. We want it so bad. We want a shortcut. I want a shortcut. I don't want to have to think about getting beat up on a regular basis, knowing that's just going to be part of it. I'd rather just take my licks every once in a while when it doesn't work out for me. Uh, in the, uh, I don't remember which translation this is, but I, I think I've got it on the screen. Um, says it like this about these guys. It says, naked and bloody, they got away the best they could. I don't know if I have that on a slide or not. Probably not. Naked and bloody, they got away the best they could. It's two different the best they could here in this story. It's the disciples who were trying to follow God and lacked a lot of understanding and gained it through relationship. And there are some other people never intended on changing what they were doing, just maybe adding a little thing to it. And if that's you, that's okay. But when you end up bloody and naked, what are you going to do? One group was earnestly seeking a path to know God. The other group, the exorcists, were seeking to know something about God to make their path work better. Where do you think you are right now? It's interesting when we look back at verse 8, it said that there were, one translation says, evil rumors about Paul and the way. And I find that interesting because Paul couldn't be exposed like these exorcists could. He, he, was all, he already, he had exposed himself. He was already 
in deep relationship. So if, the, if, if a demon stripped him of his clothes, he'd be like, so what? Everybody already knows me. Everybody knows the good and bad about me. You, you can't do nothing to me. The, the best that they could do was go out and gossip about him and take shots that way because he had so much life. So, interesting point as we get ready to close here. The literal translation of those rags that were used to heal people uh, is sweat rags and aprons that had been in contact with Paul's body. And uh, he was a tent maker. So these were things that he wrapped around his forehead and maybe his wrists and things like that to control the sweat. And somebody started finding those things and sending them out to people. Paul didn't do nothing. He didn't pray. He didn't say he prayed over those. It doesn't say that he, you know, performed some ritual before this happened. It just says that they started sending them out and it was casting demons out and saving people. And here's what I think we can learn from this, that it is a daily surrender that Paul is engaged in. It's a daily surrender of getting more life. And when he does that, this daily ordinary work and the ordinary sweat that comes from it can produce extraordinary things. That's what I want you to hear this morning is if you want more of life, you want more of these deeper relationships, your ordinary sweat can produce extraordinary things. Not wait for the big cash out, the big payday, it's do you want to start living differently today and how are you willing to change relationship in order to do that? Go deeper in relationship. And here's what we see the result of this is. As things just work themselves out, verses 18 through 20, the last verses in our passage says this. Many of those who believed now came and openly confessed their evil deeds. A number who had practiced sorcery brought their scrolls together and burned them publicly. And when they calculated the value of the scrolls, the total came to 50,000 drachmas. In this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. Uh, the thing about magic is this. When people came and openly confessed, they were confessing the spells themselves. Because these spells only had power if they were kept secret. They only had power if they were kept secret. Once they were said out loud, it was thought and known that those spells would lose their power. So we see through Paul's vulnerability, we see other people stepping into vulnerability, saying the secrets aren't what's giving me power anymore. It's the willingness to put the ordinary sweat into life and achieve, achieve those extraordinary results as I move into deeper relationship with God and with others. Pray with me. Lord, thank you for this morning. I pray you give us a hunger and a desire to want more, to want more of relationship with you and with one another. Thank you. We pray all this in the name of the Father and Jesus' the Son, as well as 
the Holy Spirit. Amen.